And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? Then you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's a horror episode of Lights Out, hosted by Arch Obler. Then we'll visit 79 Wistful Vista for a comedy episode of Fibber McGee and Molly starring Jim and Marion Jordan. With me to help present these classic radio shows is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Glad to be here. All right. What's happening in Hollywood? Well, NBC has picked up a new show called Maya and Marty in Manhattan. Maya and Marty. Let me see who okay, they could so be. Maya, so it's got to be Maya Rudolph. Right. And Marty. Maybe Marty Short? Martin yep, Short? That's exactly wow. right. You are on it. That's because I read about it at so, <laughs> a time. So this is a variety show. And yeah. it will debut in May. I sounded smart, though, there, didn't I? Uh, For no. a little while there? Just a tinge? It took me a beat, and then I figured it out. Okay. Executive producer, SNL guru... Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels, with, of course, Maya Rudolph and Martin Short, um, will, it, will air live from NBC's New York headquarters inside 30 Rock. And the series expected to blend musical numbers, which I know are well, your like favorite a, It's thing. like a big variety. It's like a Carol Comedy Burnett sketches. show, right? Well, it's like, I mean, I'm no, sorry. I know. There's I'm nothing sorry. like the Carol Burnett. But no, it's that but, kind of format, right? Yeah, but here's the thing. Network previously tried the variety series with Neil Patrick Harris called Best Time Ever. I don't know if you ever saw that show. No, I don't it think anybody did. one season, and it was canceled. I did watch it a couple times, and it, it was... two episodes or something it like was, that. It um, was not... Um, not great. Just not. Just I'll not just, great. I don't want to say anything. I'll just say it was not. All right, so we'll okay, see. When so does we'll this see. premiere? Do you know? In May. I sure do know. All right. Very good, Lisa Wolf. Are you ready for a scary classic radio you know show? Let's turn out the lights. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Lights Out was a popular radio series devoted mostly to horror and the supernatural. In the fall of 1933, NBC staff writer Willis Cooper conceived the idea of a midnight mystery serial to cast the attention of the listener at the witching hour. Cooper stayed with Lights Out until 1936 when another Chicago writer, Arch Obler, took over. Obler was a young, eccentric, and ambitious writer, producer, director, and he followed Cooper's general example, often adding an imaginative use of stream-of-consciousness narration. Obler left the series in 1938 to pursue other interests, but revived Lights Out in 1942 for CBS, sponsored by Ionized Yeast. Lights Out could be heard sporadically until 1946, the same year that NBC brought it to television. Sponsored by Admiral, the TV version was hosted by Frank Gallup and lasted until 1952. You know, he liked to gallop into the sunset, that Frank guy, you know? I, I like to watch people gallop into the sunset. That's how life should be. All right, time for Lights Out. This is a good one. It's called He Dug It Up. And it's hosted by Arch Obler from February 9th, 1943. Part one now of Lights Out. 
Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out. Everybody. It is later than you sleep. Lights Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This is Arch Obler with Quite a Cold. The idea for tonight's story, the strange story of He Dug It Up, came to me a few years ago when I was in England, pre-war England. I lived in a hotel overlooking a peaceful garden, and looking down to that bit of quiet, I, I strangely thought of death. Lights out. Everybody. It is a nice day. <laughs> yes, I agree with you, Mr. Sparrow. It's as nice a day as I, too, have ever seen. <laughs> I remember a day like this when I was about 12. Mother took me into London to see the King's Palace. Yes, that was Edward. And I had on a green suit and I... <laughs> but that wouldn't interest you now, would it, Mr. Sparrow? Funny, I never went back. Less than a hundred miles away, and I... Morning, never... Mr. Eh? Jeffrey. Uh, oh, good morning, Mr. Elkins. Hello, Mr. Jeffrey. Oh, kind of late in the season to be planting now, ain't it? Oh, I, I wouldn't exactly say that, Mr. Elkington. Not for what I'm planting. Now, what would that be, might I be asking? A tree, my friend. Oh. A nice, strong catapa tree. My son sent it to me all the way from Exeter. You don't say catalpa tree. Well, now. I say, could I be giving you a hand with that shovel, Mr. Jeffrey? No, 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 thank you kindly. I like to dig in the soil, and the exercise does me good. Thank you kindly. Oh, well, then I'll be off on my business, Mr. Jeffrey. Good Good morning to you. Good morning, Mr. Erkington. Good morning. Well, it is a good morning. Yeah. The rain certainly softened you up, didn't they, Mr. Crown? Nice and soft. Nice and soft. <coughs> Going to dig you a nice deep hole, Mr. Catalpa. Ah. Nice deep hole, so that your roots will have a good firm start in life. Yes, indeed. Ah. Well... That's not the way to act, Mr. Crown, throwing big boulders in the way of my shovel. Mm. Mighty big stone, too, from the sound of it. Dig you up, Mr. Boulder. If it takes me a week, yes, indeed. Big stone, all right. Keep after it, that's all. 
carried all these years in the corner of my garden, and I never knew about you, now, did I? There. There, that's showing results. Hmm. Yeah. Like an oblong. That's queer. Big flat oblong stone in my garden. Dig you up. That's what I'll do. Dig you up. Yes, indeed. Oh, Mrs. Gracie. Mrs. Gracie. Yes, what is it? Mrs. Gracie, come out here. You've got to come out. All right, all right. Now, what in creation is it, Mr. Jeffrey? Mrs. Gracie, look, look. Land sakes alive. What kind of a hole for a tree is that? Don't see why in the world... Look, I tell you. Is... Is it a coffin? Coffin? That size and not a stone? Then what would a coffin be doing in my garden? I never heard of anyone being buried here. It's much too big. Mrs. But... Gracie, I got it. What? Roman. The Romans left it here. Romans? Don't you understand? The Romans. The Romans invaded and lived in Britain over 1,500 years ago. They left it here. Nobody like that lived around here. And don't you tell me anything different, Mr. Jeffrey. But I am telling you, a Roman sarcophagus. Now, Mr. Jeffrey. Oh, never mind. Mr. Robinson, run over and get Mr. Robinson here. Tell him to bring a couple of men. We've got to dig this thing up. We've got to dig it up. Mr. Jeffrey, it's the sun that struck your head. Now, don't stand there lecturing me. Mr. Robinson, hurry, get him. No, no, I won't. What? Not to dig it up, I won't. To bury it deeper, yes, but not to dig it up. Mrs. Coffin or one of them heathen, whatever you call it, it makes no difference. If it's been buried here all these years, then I say cover it over and let it be. There's some things best left deep under the ground. Good. Now, when I give the signal, one, two, three, you on that side of the rope pull, while you on the other side work on the block and tackle. One, two, and up on three. Have you got it? Mr. Robinson, you will be careful. I I mean not to damage. Now, look here, friend Jeffrey. I've been in the building and excavating trade and constable of this township for 20 years. And all that time, I've given only one thing, and that's satisfaction. Yes, sir. Now, as for this little stone container... Little uh, Judas Priestman is ten foot by three, and heaven knows how heavy. Well, true as that may be to my way of thinking, it's still a small job. If you're worried about my damaging it, you're free to call in one oh, of my no. competitors. No, 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 Mr. Robinson, I want you to handle the matter. Oh, yes, yes. Indeed. All right, then stay clear, and I'll give the order. Hey, now, wait, wait. If you please, Mr. Robinson, wait. Yeah. That housekeeper of mine, Mrs. Gracie, hmm? she wouldn't want to miss the doings, and I don't know where she's gone off to. If, if now, you'd only Mr. wait... Now, Mr. Jeffrey, I'm a busy man, so if you'll just stand aside. Uh, no, please. All right, men. Now, don't pull until I give the signal. One, two, three. Up with it. Up. Easy there, Joe. Bring those ropes over the left. Up with it. Up with it. Steady there. Gracie, what in the way? Well, put it back in the Mr. ground. In the ground. Mr. It wasn't in the ground. It belongs. Mr. Jeffrey, I'm Get out of the way. Jeffrey, get that woman out of the way. Mrs. Gracie, are you crazy? You crazy old woman, get away. My men can't hold it. The tackle, it's slipping. Look out. Look out. Look out. Look out. 
frown. Get on those ropes, Lip. Lip, hurry now. Mother in heaven. It fell right on top of her. Coffin fell right on top of her. Oh, Mrs. Gracie. It's a cruel thing, Mr. Jeffrey. Cruel indeed. Yes. Cruel and yet not cruel. For the ways of the divine providence are beyond our poor mortal understanding. Yes, I shall say that very thing over her grave when we bury the poor woman. As you wish, Reverend. Ah, what a day this has been. More excitement in just a few hours in this village than we've had in a dozen years. I wonder now whether... Ah, almost nine. Well, I'd better be getting back to the church. Have to get everything ready for the service tomorrow. Uh, did you speak to Mr. Carboy about the coffin? Yes. That's good. We'll pay the good lady proper respect, we will. Well, I'll be on my way. Good night, Reverend. Good oh, night. Oh, oh, one thing more, Mr. Jeffrey. Yes? Uh, I didn't want to speak of it uh, in all the excitement before, but I feel I really should. Yes, Reverend? I know you were in quite an emotional state of mind, but do you feel it was quite the proper and respectable thing to do? I mean, having that Roman antique brought right here into the house, when it, uh, inanimate thing though it be, was the direct cause of poor Mrs. Grace's death. I wanted the sarcophagus in here, Reverend. Wanted it? But what possible use could that great stone sepulchre be to you? Oh, I realize it has certain intrinsic value. After the funeral, we'll get in touch with the proper museum authorities in London and have them take care of it. But don't you see, it wasn't quite respectful of the dead. Bringing the very thing in here that had caused the tragedy. Not respectful at all, Mr. Jeffrey. It was what I wanted. Good night, Reverend. Uh, but, Mr. Jeffrey, I... Uh, oh. Uh, good night. Uh, good night. Disrespectful. Hm. The haunt of Mr. Coffin that she ran under it. Call in the proper authorities. I'm proper authority in Roman things myself, I am. Read the whole Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman Empire, didn't I? I certainly did. Here you are, Mr. Coffin. Just where I made them put you. And I did make them, didn't I? Ran right under you, she did. Superstitious old fool. Fault of yours, Mr. Coffin? Yes, you're a big one. Uh, let me see. Uh, about ten feet long on this side and... and four this way. Uh, it's a discovery that ought to make history that it ought. Wait for experts, should I? What would the experts do? Cart you off to one of those museums and there I'd be... Hey, the man that found you with nothing but a hole in my garden and in your grave in the cemetery to show what had happened. No. No. I'd be my own expert, Mr. Corbett. I'd open you up myself right now. And I'll take the blame or credit and no mistake about it. That iron bar. Hmm. Mr. Robinson will wonder where his crowbar went. Now, what are you, Mr. Corbett? But we'll give it back to him in the morning. Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, 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 
got you wide open enough to look inside now, haven't I? Experts. I'll show them. Can't see. Matches. There now. If you don't mind now, Mr. Coffin, I'll bend over to see what you've got inside. Copy. Get the call. Are you there? Are you there? Uh, uh, Reverend, uh, this is uh, Mr. Jeffrey. Yes, 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 Jeffrey. No, 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 no. Uh, listen to me. That Roman sarcophagus, I just opened it. Inside of it, there's something, a woman, and yet, yet it isn't. I, I mean, oh, Reverend, come over quickly. You see, whatever it is, I don't think it's dead. My dear, Mr. Jeffrey, you must listen to me. I'm a person of understanding, of judgment. I say leave it alone. Don't go near the thing until they get here. Now, I phoned Dr. Thompson at the British uh, Museum. He's an expert, expert, a qualified expert. Expert. There you go, experting again. Now, 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 now you shove on that side and I'll pull on with this. Yes. There, there. Now, that ought to fetch the lid off. Well, it's all against my better judgment. All right. All right. Off with it. She goes. Another shove. Open We've got it open. Reverend, look. Look at her head. Why, what? What in Satan's name is it? Lion's head. That's it, a lion's head. And, and the body of a woman. And alive. She is alive. Don't be a fool. It's a heathen idol, stone. No, no, it's living skin. I'll touch it. I'll prove it. Ah, it is stone. And Blasphemous heathen thing. We'll cover it up, and in the morning I'll have it buried again. No, no, no. No, you won't. It's fine. Found it on my property. Oh, heaven forgive you. The blood of your poor housekeeper still staining it. Staining it? What are you talking about? This is Grace's blood. See, it's still on it. But... But the outside of the coffin fell on her. This part was closed. But it is blood. Fresh blood. Oh, it can't be out here. <sighs> Mr. Jeffrey. Reverend... That woman. A minute ago, I felt cold stone. And now it's warm. Constable, Constable, can't you walk any faster? Oh, it'll wait, Reverend. Whatever it is, it'll wait. But I tell you, he acted like a madman. Practically threw me out of the house bodily because I persisted... Now, wait a minute, Reverend. Begging your pardon, wait a minute... Me, I don't know a thing about this. I'm sleeping as peaceful as a sheep in the fields when you wake me up. Will you represent the law in this community? But begging your pardon, I don't know if there's any representing to do. If you get what I mean. But I told yes, you... Yes, sir, you told me that the coffin that killed poor Mrs. Gracie... He opened it, I tell you. And since when is that against the law? Oh, keep walking, man, keep walking. Begging your pardon, Reverend, I know when I'm walking. Now, now, now here's a house. Now go in there, go in there and see for yourself. And that's just what I'm going to do, sir. See, you'll see. I demand that you remove the heathen idol by force and have it bedded in the ground where it belongs. I demand it. Hold it, sir. Well, it's me, Mr. Jeffrey. I didn't send for you. I brought him here. Oh, 
It's you, is it? And now, Mr. Jeffrey, I feel it my duty. I'm begging your pardon, Reverend. As long as you got me out of bed, let me do the talking, oh, if you well, don't mind, sir. <clears throat> now, Mr. Jeffrey, I'd like a bit of an explanation. Explanation, my grandmother. Constable. Constable, he slammed the door in our faces. Well, that he did, but, but what of it? He's broke no law that I know of. Then come, come and see for yourself. Eh? At the window. Glory be. I see the thing now. It, it it can't be alive. I don't know. I don't know. Stone, and yet, yet it was warm to the touch. It better not be alive. Why? Why do you say that? Because. Look for yourself. Mr. Jeffrey. He's cutting into her with that bit of iron. Come in and help me, Mr. Elkins. Oh, uh, I'm right glad to be of service, I am. I'm glad to be of service. This is devilish hard rock. Yes, yes, it is. But we've got to break the statue open, Mr. Elkington. We've got to. If you say so. Oh, those fools, the constable and the reverend, they'll be back soon with some new ideas about getting into the house now, won't they? I, I suppose so. But they won't stop me. They won't. I've a chance to do something before I die. Make a big discovery, I tell you. They, they won't stop me. We'll have the statue cut open before they get here now, won't we, Mr. Arthur? I will try, I will yes, try. Yes, 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 yes. Cut it open and know the secret. Something that keeps that stone warm as if it were placed. Uh, that'll be a wonderful discovery now, won't it? Ah, oh, that it will. Uh, yeah, faster, Mr. Stilkington, faster. I'll try, I'll try. Crikey, this stone is so hard. They mustn't stop us. No, 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 no. Faster, Mr. Elkington. Oh. Elkington. Why have you stopped? It's my fingers cramped. I can't open my hand. Chisel, give it to me. All right, all right. Got to keep working. Got to. I know the secret in you, Lionhead. That's the name I've got to give her, Elkington, Lionhead. The power that's kept the stone in you warm all these centuries. I've got to know that, Lionhead. And I will know it. Have to keep working. Now, Reverend, Reverend, you can drive a man too far. I tell you... No, Constable, now we'll tell you. Uh, For 24 uh, hours, you've been telling the people of this community that the law won't permit you to do this and the law won't permit you to do that. Well, it won't. But we tell you we won't stand by and permit one of our citizens to indulge in heathen madness and not do something about it. Am I right, gentlemen? But but what can I do? He's in his own home. He's not committing any public nuisance. We've gone over that a hundred times. The fact remains you've got to go in there and stop him. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to. And that's part one of Lights Out from February 9th, 1943 with He Dug It Up, hosted by Arch Obler. We'll get back to that in just a few minutes. But Lisa, should we pay some bills? For um, a break? Yeah, if you want to pay them, All right, that's okay. let's I don't do, do that. that. No, you don't want to write them out? No, you pay. All right, I'll, I'll pay them then. Let's take a quick break. Then Lisa and I and the whole gang will be back here on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back to Hollywood 360. It's time now for the conclusion to Lights Out. The hardest stone in the world. They made you, huh? Yes. 
you, Jeffrey. I'm asking you, please stop cutting into it. Please. Of the warmth. Before any of the others know about it. But they stop me. Hark. What's that? Not to keep working. That sound, Mr. Jeffrey, what is it? Can't talk to you, Mr. Lockington. Important work. But, uh, Mr. Jeffrey, the chisel, why did you drop it? My hand. Like an electric current running through the chisel. Oh, no. No. No, just... Just a weariness in my muscles. Pick up the chisel. Yes. Go on. I... Yes. I, I think I'm going now, no, Mr. No, Jeffrey. no, no. You stay where you are. I'd you stay go. here until you stay there. If I lock the door for you, they will come in. And I won't let them in before I learn the secret, you hear me? That sound, Mr. Jeffrey, it's like something uh, burning. Do you hear? It's been getting louder and louder. Well, stop. I've got to find the secret of that warmth. Fifteen centuries of warmth. Mr. Jeffrey, it's the constable. I don't care. I don't care. Open up. Open up, Mr. Jeffrey. Uh, you won't stop me, you meddling fool. Open up, Mr. No. Jeffrey, in the name of the law. We've got a warrant uh, this time, good and proper. Warrant? Oh, no, no. Oh, Mr. Warrant. Jeffrey, you ought to really... No, 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 no. I, I, I'm almost finished. Go away. Go away. Such a horrible way to die. It was the lantern. Set him afire, I guess. No, 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 it wasn't that. Hey, what's say, Mr. Elfington? I saw it all. A flame came out of the statue. You're the death, man. No, I swear it's the truth. I saw it. Professor Thompson, you, you tell him. What did you see as you came through the door? There was a flame from it. But, but how can that be? Flame from a statue? And the Romans went down to Egypt. Professor, tell us, what is it? What is this statue? The lioness-headed goddess Sekhmet. Well? And they worshipped her as the goddess of fire. Hmm. Now, just a second, Mr. Obler. Are you asking us to believe that in the year of our Lord, 1940, they could unearth a stone sarcophagus containing a Roman fire goddess? Capable of burning a man to death? Oh, come now. Well, is that any more difficult to believe than that a small Austrian house painter with a comedy mustache could try to burn up a world? You know, Frank, England is an island full of mysterious traces of ancient civilizations. Have you ever heard of Stonehenge? Stonehenge? What's that? Over in England, miles away from the cities, you're driving along, and suddenly as you come over a rise of the road, there are these tremendous archways and monuments of stone. 
a strange semicircle of great stone pillars. Archaeologists say they've been there since prehistoric times, yet there are no stone quarries within hundreds of miles. No one knows how those blocks of stone got there and who or what put them there. These unsolved mysteries from out of mankind's past, who knows but that someday traces of our own civilization will be found, and then a super race of man will ask, were they men, these people of 1943? Lights Out will come to you again next Tuesday at the same time. Be sure to listen to Arch Obler's Oxychloride X. It is later than you think. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Lights Out from February 9th, 1943. He dug it up, hosted by Arch Obler. Frank Martin doing the announcing there, sponsored by Ionized Yeast, as heard on CBS. I don't think there's ionized yeast anymore, is there, Lisa? I what, what did they use that for? I think it was like an energy or a vitamin pill or something. Ionized yeast. Well, it's not something I would... Maybe first of all, you I don't want some energy. I don't want to put anything in my body that's ionized, first of all. Well, I don't and know. What is ionized? It's yeasty. I don't know if I'd want to put that in. All bread has yeast. Yes, I know, but <laughs> I don't think I would just want to eat some yeast. You know what I'm saying? No. No, you don't know what Not I'm saying. Not really, no. Well, just trust me. You don't want to. Um, what do you think? You want to listen to Fibber McGee and Molly now? Yes, a good comedy might All be right. just what we need. Real-life husband and wife Jim and Marion Jordan starred as Fibber McGee and Molly. They lived at where? 79 Wistful, Wistful Vista. Vista. Very good. A typical town in middle America. And the locals who indulged Fibber and Molly included Wistful Vista's Mayor Latrivia, played by Gail Gordon, Lucille Ball's sure. foil, whose short fuse was easily ignited by the verbal sparks of Fibber, and then there was their windbag neighbor, Throckmorton P. P. What? Throckmorton P. P. Gildersleeve. All right, very. You're getting the hang of this. Getting, Lisa. getting the hang of this after 25 years. years, later, years right? <laughs> who was so popular, he spun off to his own situation comedy series. What? The Great. Oh come on! No, it wasn't called the Great. Oh come on! Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Right. Wallace Wimple was the gentle soul who loved birds and his big old sweetie face. They had all kinds of people knocking on the door at Fibber McGee and Molly's residence, and it premiered in radio in 1935 and continued until 1959. Long Very run, successful. like our show. Very, Very long. Successful. We've been on since 2009. You know, Lisa. It Do you feels remember? Like about 1902. Yeah, I know. 19 that's how they used to say it back then. All right, here it is, uh, November 28th, 1939, called Dodging the Finance Company. Jim and Marion Jordan in part one of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber, McGee, and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber, McGee, and Molly with Jimmy Shields, Bill Thompson, and Billy Mills Orchestra. And now to 79 Wistful Vista where the McGee's are working out the Christmas budget and are slightly aghast at their mounting household expenses. Let's look in at the lovebirds in their nest and hear them peep as they open their little bills. <laughs> to say nothing of their big bills. <laughs> Folks, Fibber McGee and Molly. Heavenly days, McGee. Just look at all these bills. Oh, quit waving them at me. I know what they are. The same old stuff every month. Well, I'm glad you realize it. There's the $3 to pay on the refrigerator. I know, I know, I know. And the $2 on the encyclopedia. 
That's right. Six bucks on the piano. Yeah. Four fifty on the radio. Yeah. Two fifty on the vacuum cleaner. No. Oh. Oh, we got that paid up? No, they came and got it this morning. It's <laughs> good. It was getting too noisy anyway. Well, now look, McGee. Our budget won't stretch over all the bills this month. We got to skip somebody. Okay. How do we stand on the car payments? Well, let me see now. We refinanced it in 1934. <laughs> then we refinanced it again in 1936. And in uh, 1937, we refinanced it. <laughs> That car's been refinanced so many times it shrugs its fender every time it passes a bank. <laughs> Come in. Hello there, kids. Oh. How you fix for Christmas trimmings? Holly wreaths, poinsettias, mistletoe? No, thank you, Mr. Oldtimer. I guess not just now. <laughs> I don't go for that mistletoe business, Oldtimer. There's too many guys that stand under and not enough gals that understand. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny But that ain't the way I heard it <laughs> The way I heard it One fire says to t'other feller See <laughs> What do you think of that newfangled automobile Admiral Byrd's taking to the South Pole? Well, says t'other feller All I gotta say is You sure have to go a long ways nowadays To find a parking space <laughs> Sorry you don't need any Christmas stuff, kids Having a special today on hollyberries Hollyberries? Yep, I call them the grapes of wreath <laughs> Grapes of wreath Why, that old fuddy-duddy I'll bet if they ever straighten out his wrinkles, he'd be eight feet high <laughs> Say, uh, what did you do with last month's receipt from the finance company, dearie? Uh, I don't know. I thought you paid it. Why, I thought you paid it. You paid the month before, didn't you? No. Didn't you? Why, no. I thought... Oh, well. My goodness, McGee. We're three months behind in the car payments. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Maybe i better run down to the finance company and explain everything. Oh, well. I wouldn't worry too much about it, dearie. Why not? After all these years, don't you think they have any sentiment at all? Go on. That finance company ain't got any more heart than a stalk of nightclub celery. <laughs> what do they care if we've been paying them our good dough for seven years? Well, maybe you're right. Say, you don't think they take the car away from us, do you? Oh, no. Oh, no. Perish the thought. No, no quicker than a Great Dane would repossess a pork chop. <laughs> Why, those guys would steal... Come in. Ah, oh, hello there, folks. Just thought I'd stop in and warn you. <laughs> warn us against what, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, I wanted to tell you a man came to my door and inquired where you live. Oh. Yes, he said he was from the finance company. Oh. Oh. From the finance company, eh? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You're not having any trouble, I hope. Juan <laughs> Gildersleeve, you'd love it if we had trouble. If we was caught in an avalanche, you'd stop and throw snowballs at us. Oh, come, come, McGee. Well, I was merely doing you a favor. Oh, yeah. Every time you do me a favor, it costs me dough. What do you say we get back on the old you-hate-me-I-hate-you basis? Well, uh, it's quite all right with me, McGee. And now that we've dug up the hatchet again... What was the idea of taking the Sunday paper off my porch last Sunday morning? 
Who took what paper off whose porch? You did, McGee. Quiet. Now, careful there, Mr. Gildersleeve. You're practically accusing me husband of petty larceny. I certainly am. Anybody that would sneak up on my porch like a thief in the night. It wasn't night. It was broad daylight. <laughs> well, what of it? Gildersleeve's been swiping our evening paper, ain't he? Stop right there, McGee. I stop. <laughs> I'll have you know I can afford to subscribe to my own papers. I don't have to stoop to take yours. I'll say you don't. You could just reach up on the porch behind the lilac bush. <laughs> and furthermore, Gildersleeve, if I have any more trouble with you, you know what I'll do? I'll clunk you so hard your head will ring like the Westminster chimes on... on what day do they ring? The Easter morning. Is that so? Yes, that's so. I'll tie your limp little spine into eight fancy knots and present you to the Boy Scouts. What truth? <laughs> You keep out of this, please, Molly. So you'll tie my spine into knots, will you, Gildersleeve? You know what I think of you? I have a rough idea. If you ever had an idea, it would have to be rough to make its way alone in the world. <laughs> you don't say. I do say. Why, you... All right, all right, you vocal ruffians. Go to your corners and gargle your throats. <laughs> would you mind telling me, Mr. Gildersleeve, what you told the man from the finance company? Well... I told him I didn't know where you lived. You do, too. I told him I thought it was down the next block. I'm sorry now. I didn't bring him over here myself. A lot of satisfaction you'd have got out of that, Gildersleeve. I know the law. I know my rights. He can't do anything to me. How do you know so much about it? Who, me? Why, shucks, Gildersleeve. I made a hobby of legal matters ever since I was a kid. Why, I wouldn't even get out of my crib until my nurse brung in a habeas corpus. <laughs> And when I was just in knee pants, I knew enough law to throw the whole bar association for a loop. Loophole McGee, I was known as in them days. Loophole McGee, the lustiest, loudest legal light that ever leaked like a leopard on a lot of loose-living lawbreakers, lashing them in the Latin language and leading them like lightning to Leavenworth, love for my lively laughter and lofty legal ledger domain, and the long-lost the leader of liberty legislation from the lovely lanes where the lop wings leave to the... Oh, you going Gildersleeve? <laughs> McGee, you've got to get in touch with the finance company and explain the matter before they take the car away from us. Don't worry. I know my rights, Molly. They can't take that car until they serve us with a writ of detachment. A writ of attachment, isn't it? Detachment. They want to detach us from the car, don't they? Well, I guess that's Why, right. Sure, it's compulsory. I'll answer it, Molly. No, don't, McGee. Maybe huh? that's the man from the finance company. Take a peek out the window. Okay. Yep. That's him, all right. I remember him from 1936. <laughs> Time he got nasty with me for absent-mindedly making the checkout to the Wistful Vista Finagling Company. Say, why don't we ask him in, McGee, and explain the circumstance? Oh, no, no, no. The minute we open the door, he can slap, uh, slap a legal paper on us. And then we lose the car. Well, how about if he breaks the door in? Is that legal? Search me. Let me think it over a minute. Let's see now. Case of Goonie versus New Hampshire statute, 19 not plaintiff charge. Issued a writ of muggle nuxus. Malice of forethought. Statute decision out here in Nebraska. Yep, it's legal. Move that table in front of the door, Molly. Oh, Come on. Lovely. Hurry up. Oh. Lift that in up there. Oh, right. Never knew this was that heavy. <sighs> oh. Say, what huh? if he hears us, McGee? We're making a lot of noise for people who aren't at home. Maybe he'll think we got mice. <laughs> Oh, you mean when the McGees are away, the mice will play football? <laughs> is the back door closed, Molly? Yes, it is, dearie. Let's see now. I wonder how else he could get in. 
Down the chimney? Mm, not a chance. A bill collector hates to do anything that even suggests Santa Claus. <laughs> Has he gone away, Molly? Yes, he's left, dearie. Uh-oh. But he'll probably be back. Well, by that time, we'll... Oh, oh he's back already. Hey, Molly, look. He slipped into a disguise, dressed up like a woman. <laughs> Wonder who he thinks he's fooling. You, for one. That's Mrs. Uppington. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh. Well, let's move this barricade just to crack, Molly, so she can slip in quick. I'm afraid you're underestimating your proportions, dearie. <laughs> Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? Well, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Ah, Uppy. One side there, girls, while I move this table back. Oh, my goodness, what is going on here? Oh, well, we're just uh, rearranging the furniture, Uppy. <laughs> how do you think that table looks against the front door there? <laughs> well, I, uh, it's uh, rather unusual, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, we thought so. <laughs> yes, how... Uh, how does one, uh, well, I mean about going in and out and all that sort of thing? <laughs> oh, well, this this prevents all that old stuff like that there, Uppy. Oh. After all, there ain't anything dignified about people tearing in and out of your front door all the time. <laughs> Certainly not. So you pile furniture against the door, which makes your home more exclusive, yes. you see? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, I see. <clears throat> uh, tell me, is this a new theory of interior decoration? Why, Mrs. Uppington, you mean you haven't heard? Why, shucks, it's the last word with the smart set in Peoria, Uppy. And they ought to know. Practically every house there has got furniture in it. My, how very interesting. Well, perhaps I'll stop in again on my way home for my director's meeting and see how your house looks. Oh, are you a director of something, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, yes, my dear. In fact, I am one of the biggest stockholders in one of our largest companies downtown. Oh, is that so? Mm. You're really a big woman in this town. <laughs> now, which one, Uppy? Why, the Wistful Vista Finance Company. Oh, yes, it's oh. quite the... Oh, Mr. McGee, <laughs> you just put the wrong end of your cigar in your mouth. Yes. <laughs> uh, well... I must be going now. Oh, oh, mercy. Oh, dear. Oh, that horrible table, I forgot. <laughs> you better oh. sneak out the back way, Uppy. The back way? Yeah. Well, I know. Well, really. Well, goodbye. <laughs> Imagine Uppy, a director in the finance company. Yes. Wait a minute, McGee. Yes. It's that collector again. Hmm. Persistent cuss, ain't he? Maybe if we still... Are you going to get home in there? Shall we answer him, dearie? Uh, I'll disguise my voice, Molly, and fool him. I say, anybody at home? Why, sure. But there's only just me and Lum a sitting here. <laughs> uh, thanks, anyway. Well, it worked, dearie. He's walking away, yeah. shaking his head. Wow. Heavenly days, you almost fooled me, too. <laughs> I did, you eh? You certainly did. <laughs> I never knew you could imitate Amos and Andy like that. <laughs> what do you mean, Amos and Andy? That was Lum and Abner. Don't you know Lum and Abner? Oh, dear, he's back again. Wait till I peek out with him. Yes, it's him. Hey, what's that, an echo? Or has he got a guy working the back door, too? <laughs> We're surrounded, McGee. Looks like it. Well, as the handkerchief said, as it climbed off the sewing machine... Darn it, I'm hemmed in. <laughs> well, hello, 
there, folks. I knocked at the back door, but I guess you didn't hear me, so I walked right in. Why, hello, Mr. Wilcox. So that was you at the back door. We thought it was another guy from the finance company. Finance company? Yes, you see, we forgot to make a couple of payments on the car, and there's been a man trying to serve a paper on us. Oh, gee, that's tough. Well, maybe he'll go away after a while. Them guys never go away. That's part of their training. They love to sit on your laps if they can find one in your payments. (laughs) Well... Well, you can't blame him. He's only doing his duty. Huh? Just the same as it's the duty of the Johnson's wax people to have every linoleum floor in America protected and beautified with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. That's very true, Mr. Wilcox. Right. Won't you tell us more about what Johnson's glow coat will do for floors and linoleum, Mr. Wilcox? Oh, you've heard it. Oh, do tell us again. I never get tired of it, Harlow. <laughs> and I love that part where you strike an attitude of repose and talk about no rubbing and buffing. <laughs> Gee, do you really? Oh, it kills me. You mean, you mean where I remind people that no matter how much they use their linoleum floors, they can keep them beautiful and protected with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat? So easy, no work to it, just apply to the clean floor, spread it around, and in 20 minutes it's shining like new? That's it. No wonder you sell so much Johnson's glow coat, Mr. Wilcox. You're so sincere. Hey, now, wait a minute, Molly. I'm the guy that really sells Johnson's glow coat. How do you figure that? Well, take a look at this wire I got from the shipping clerk at Racine. He says... We shipped so much Johnson's glow coat last month, we used 100,000 extra fiber shipping cases. Unquote. Probably got my picture on every case, too. That's the real secret. Here, let me see that wire. Okay, bud. (laughs) Oh, I see. (laughs) That's different. What you mean? Why, it doesn't say fiber cases. It says fiber. Oh, my. Well, I'll see you later, folks. And that's part one of Fibber McGee and Molly, November 28, 1939. We'll get back to that in just a few moments. I want to remind our listeners that we have a Facebook page for this radio show. Right, Lisa? We do. And I check the Facebook page about every three seconds. So yeah. if you have anything that's that not you... fast enough. I know. I'm, I'm on it. And yeah. so go. You have the fastest fingers. I have never seen anyone move her fingers faster than you My when you're kids typing. They tease me. They say I'm so slow. What? Yeah. I have never. It's like. Lightning, your fingers go so fast when you are answering people on the Facebook. Well, when I work, I take it very seriously, but yeah. um, that is the best way to communicate with us. Let us know what you'd like to hear. I should take hear. a video of your fingers and put it on the that website. That wouldn't be that interesting. Yeah. And it would be not in speed up. It wouldn't be sped up. It, it would, would be, be the, not speed up. It would, they would be in the regular <laughs> speed, and people would be amazed. Well, you know what? Talk to me on Facebook. I'd love to uh, hear what you have to How say. do you do that? Go to Hollywood 360 Radio. All right. Check us there. out there. Well, let's take a break. Then it's more on the Hollywood Hollywood 360 Radio Network. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. In our next hour, Lisa, we'll conclude Fibber McGee and Molly, and then what are we going to listen to? Oh, one of our favorites, Escape, from May 2nd, 1948, called John Jock Todd. Yeah, you escaped, right, from oh. an institution, didn't yes, you? Yes, yes, and I so came that's why right you like here it so to much? Hollywood 360. Very good. All right, that's our next hour, so stay with us. 